Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Today we are uh, going to continue in our series about misunderstood, misapplied, and difficult passages. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can uh, pull it up. And I would encourage you to follow along uh, as we uh, learn this parable from Jesus. But before we dive in, I want to start our time with a prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are big and you love us, and that makes us glad. Now let the words that I say and the thoughts that we all think be pleasing in your sight for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, Andrew, it's that time of the month again where we need to do our monthly attendance report. All right, let's do it. What do we have here? Well, the first thing I notice is average attendance is up, with most people coming to three worship services per month instead of two. Hey, yeah. hey it seems like people's roots are growing deeper. Yeah, that's awesome. Got to grow that fruit. Okay. But, oh, ooh. ooh. Mm, Look mm. at the DeMoss family. Three months in a row absent. Such a shame. They were such good Christians, but it looks like the thorn of life has choked them out. Lord... Have mercy on their souls. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. And look at the Weiss family. Oh. Such a sweet family. Yeah, sweet and family. they started out with so much joy, but now gone seven weeks in a seven? row. Can you believe it? Seven weeks. Well, you know what Jesus said? Some people have no roots, and when troubles come, they quickly fall away from the faith. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. But what a reminder for us to be on guard so Satan doesn't come and snatch our salvation. You said it, brother. Whoa, I never noticed how sporadic the Mahler family attends. You don't think? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, that's what I thought. Oh, Dave, the deceitfulness of wealth. It leads many who were once Christians away from the faith. <sighs> Dave and his minivans. He just can't. He loves those minivans. Well, you know, I think it's a really good thing that you're preaching on the parable of the soils today. Because mm. maybe if you do a good enough job people will stop losing their salvation. So this is all up to you. Hopefully you do a good job. Good luck, Adam. That's a lot of pressure, and I'll do my best. Well, today, as I said, we are indeed studying the parable of the soils, found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. But first, you must know, no one at Highland on staff has conversations like that about anyone here. That's just not a conversation we have. The second thing that you need to understand is that when people use this passage in a parable like this in the way that we just did, it completely misses the point. A few have believed that this passage teaches about people losing their salvation, but it doesn't. It doesn't teach about eternal security either. Those are questions for other passages, and yet some have forced these theological positions on a text like this one to make it say something it's not interested at all in saying. As we're going to see, the, these theological positions aren't even in the ballpark of what Jesus or Matthew are doing in a text like this one. In Matthew's gospel, the parable about the soils leads the way in a series of seven different parables and they're not about eternal security. They're not about losing salvation. Rather, they're about the reign of God. The topic of each one of these parables, all the, the following six, is the kingdom of heaven that was arriving through the life and ministry of Jesus. 
What does Jesus have to say about the kingdom? What is the kingdom like? How will people respond to the gospel about the kingdom? Well, that's what our text is interested in today. That's what we're going to find out. And we're going to begin by actually reading the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Follow along with me. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear? I mean, as if Jesus just said something revolutionary? Uh, It might be hard for our modern ears to understand just how unexciting this would have sounded to the crowd standing there. We might think of it this way. Imagine that you take off a whole day of work because you hear a world-renowned teacher is coming to Madison, Wisconsin to teach. And so you take off work, you battle traffic, you battle the crowds, you find your seat, you sit down, and the, the speaker comes out, sits on his stool, and he raises his mic and says, you know, one day I threw a ball high into the air, and then it came down. He who has ears, let him hear. I mean, like, what's going on? You could have stayed home. You could have went to work and at least made some money. Can you imagine how that would feel? And this illustrates how many in the crowd that day listening to Jesus felt because what Jesus said described nothing out of the ordinary. In those days, farmers used something called broadcast sowing, which simply meant they took a bag of seed and they scattered it broadly. And so for some seed to fall on the path leading through or around a field would be expected. For some to land on rocky soil or among thorns would be normal. And of course, every farmer hoped that most of the seed fell on good soil and it would go on to produce a crop. And contrary to what it teaches in probably all of our study Bibles, having a hundredfold return, having a hundredfold crop, was not miraculous. It was exceptional, but not miraculous. Some, a couple Hebrew scholars on ancient Israeli agricultural practices demonstrated that though a hundredfold harvest was exceptionally good, it could and did happen. It was the hope of every farmer. And so you can imagine standing there and hearing Jesus describe what you did yesterday, what you do every single season. And then he concludes by saying, if you have ears, listen up as if this was world-changing? This is how many in the crowd felt that day and how many of them responded. After hearing several parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom, many left that day believing their time had been wasted. Why? Why would Jesus teach this way? Was Jesus simply an ineffective teacher? 
Why teach in parables? Just come out and say it, Jesus. If you want all to come to you, if you want all to believe the good news about the kingdom, why do you teach in parables? Why the riddles? Why the puzzles? It's exactly what Jesus' disciples were wondering. And it's what we learn as we continue in our text. This is verses 10 through 17. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Have you ever been in a situation where one thing is being said, but people take it two different ways? Maybe where one message is given and people take it two opposite different ways. This happens all the time to preachers, and I bet you it happens all the time to you parents out there as well. It makes me think of a phenomenon that became rather well-known several years ago where an audio clip of a single word, when it was played to a crowd, people heard two very different words. Let's play that clip today. Laurel. One more time. Laurel. A third time. Laurel. All right, I need some participation. Raise your hand if you heard Yanny. Okay, quite a few. Now you can put your hand down. How many of you heard Laurel? Okay, okay, quite a few. That surprises you? You heard Yanny, right? I can't understand the science behind this. If you're interested, you can look it up online. This has been around for a little while. But this, what we did here just now, it illustrates something that's going on in our text today. Jesus tells the same story, the same parable to everyone, and yet it produces two very different effects. On the one hand, some come to him and inquire. Some come and they receive even more. But to others in the crowd, they stay at a distance or they leave that day. And even what they had right there in front of them is taken away. It turns out that this is the intentional plan and desire for why Jesus teaches the mysteries of the kingdom in parables. Let's dig in. It's interesting to me that in the minds of the disciples, which, by the way, would have been more than just the 12, that in the minds of the disciples, they perceive two different groups happening here. They say, Jesus, why do you teach them in parables? And this is interesting for a couple of reasons, because first, Jesus taught, just got done teaching everyone in parables, the disciples included. It's not like they were just arriving on the scene. They were listening to the very same stories. And so 
Why do they ask Jesus? Why do you teach them in parables? The second thing that's interesting is it's not like the disciples are grasping what Jesus is teaching here. He has to go on right after this text to explain what the parable means to them. Later in this very chapter, the disciples come to him again and say, explain the parable to us. And so the difference here is not between a group that understands what Jesus is teaching and a group that doesn't. So why do they see a distinction? Why do they ask Jesus, why do you teach them in parables? What is Matthew trying to show us? What is Matthew doing to show us two different groups that are forming in response to Jesus' kingdom parables? Well, I think it might be simpler than we think. The two groups defined here are, of course, the disciples and the rest. The disciples of Jesus are those who perceive that there is something greater going on in the seemingly simple stories that Jesus teaches. And so they come to him. They come to him, the teacher, and inquire. They go deeper and they seek the spiritual significance of Jesus' ministry. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they've been enlightened in some special way to understand the mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus speaks about. The difference is some come to Jesus, inquire, and receive more. Matthew calls them the disciples. They're the ones who, for some reason, are challenged by the parable, and they come to Jesus and receive an abundance. And so Jesus... He tells his disciples the deep logic, the divine logic behind why he teaches them in parables. And it's here where I need to admit that I don't fully understand what's going on here. I think I understand what Jesus is teaching them and what he's telling them, but I don't know if I can completely put it together in my mind. I've struggled with it. It's perhaps because it's not possible for human understanding to completely wrap our heads around this. And many people have struggled with it because what Jesus goes on to say has to do with how God's divine and sovereign will intersects with human freedom and responsibility. And so the first reason that Jesus gives for teaching in parables, he addresses to the disciples, those who are right in front of him. It's one side of the coin in verse 11. He says, I teach in parables because you have been chosen to receive the secrets of the kingdom, but not the crowd. We'll come back to what the secrets of the kingdom are in just a bit, but for now, let's continue to tra trace Jesus' logic. He first focuses his answer on the disciples saying, I teach in parables because through them I impart wisdom to you who have been chosen while concealing it from those who haven't. Now, some have been uncomfortable with this teaching of Jesus, and so they've tried to soften it. But according to Jesus, he teaches in parables to deliver truth to some and conceal it from others. Jesus doesn't end there, however. He gives the other side of the same coin in verses, verse 13. This time, he applies his answer to the crowd, to those who have not been chosen. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they never hear, nor do they understand. He says, this fulfills what Isaiah was talking about regarding these people, that they listen and listen and refuse to hear. They look and look and never perceive, for their hearts have grown callous. Plugging their ears and closing their eyes, they refuse to turn back and be healed. And so the other side of the coin for Jesus 
He teaches in parables because they willfully oppose the truth. They don't want to hear the plans of God. They don't want to turn and be healed. And so he seals their fate. Verse 12 connects these two functions of the parable together. Jesus says, For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The truth that Jesus teaches here is that some have been chosen by God to receive the truth, and they're at the same time those who are willing, who are receptive, and open to the plans of God. They're the disciples who, coming to Jesus, they receive even more, an abundance, nothing less than the surprise, knowledge, and divine, eternal plan of God. But this also means that some have not been chosen for this knowledge. There are those who have, are not chosen, and at the same time, they're unreceptive. They've hardened their heart. They've closed their eyes. So even what they have right there in front of them will be taken away. Jesus says that what is happening in his ministry and in his parables is simultaneously the divine will of God to choose from the many a remnant, while also expediting the self-destruction of those who plug their ears to the truth. Somehow, God's sovereign choice and rejection are completely compatible with human willingness and rebellion. Closing their eyes to the truth, God takes away their ability to see. Closing their ears to the truth, he takes away their ability to hear. And for, yet for those who've gathered around him, for disciples, he blesses their eyes and ears He says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Friends, if you've been tracking along with what Jesus has been teaching, well, first of all, great job. If your head hurts a little bit, don't worry, you're in good company. God's sovereign will to choose is somehow compatible with our freedom to choose. And God's sovereign will to harden is somehow compatible with our freedom to rebel. And somehow by teaching in parables, Jesus brings both of these to fruition. And so now that that is crystal clear in all of our minds, it's time to talk about the secrets of the kingdom of God. The thing that righteous people and prophets longed to hear and see but never did. I told you we would come back to this. Friends, this is practical. Friends, this is crucial. It's of the utmost importance because Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for rescue. And Jesus saw himself as the herald of this Good news. While many today in the Protestant tradition uh, see the gospel as nothing more narrowly as that Jesus died for our sins so when we die we can go to heaven, this is strangely not what we hear Jesus proclaim when he announces the gospel. Now don't mishear me. Please don't misunderstand me. To be certain, Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin, something we all desperately need handed over to the consequences of sin, which is death, Jesus took our place that we might be spared. Forgiveness of sins is one of the primary and beautiful blessings for those who believe in the gospel. And it's necessary for salvation. But it's not quite what Jesus announced when he proclaimed 
the gospel. And so what is the gospel? What is the gospel of God? Let's look to Jesus. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, when Jesus proclaimed the gospel announcement, he said it was about that it's time for the kingdom of God to arrive. Turn and believe this good news. In Luke, Jesus said that this was the reason he was sent, to proclaim this good news about the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I think one way we might illustrate this is to think about the rebel, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, dying right there next to him. Did the thief understand that Jesus was dying right there next to him for his sins? We don't know if he understood that or not. The text simply doesn't say, but what it does say is that in that moment, he recognized Jesus is the king bringing a kingdom. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. One theologian wrote this, whereas our explanations of the gospel have often narrowly focused on the forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death, the apostles and acts seem to have a different focus, namely, the kingdom of God. Friends, what Jesus taught, what the apostles proclaimed, is the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that the reign of God has arrived through Jesus because he is the exalted king of all. This is the good news that we must believe to be saved. Isn't it what Paul teaches? He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is the Lord. He's the king. And as such, the kingdom of God has arrived since he's been raised from the dead in power and exalted to the throne. Friends, if you've never responded to this gospel, then today I ask you to turn and believe. To turn to God and believe this good news. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So receive him as your king. Receive him as your Lord. Honor him. Obey him. Follow him. Learn from him. Worship him. And if he asks you to, Die for him. Because that's how you respond to a king. And the good news is that Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And as such, he has launched a new era, a new age known as the kingdom of God. Our text tells us today that Jesus teaches in parables because the disciples are the ones chosen for these secrets, for this knowledge about the kingdom. And coming to him, that's exactly what they receive. In this parable about the soils, Jesus reveals the nature of the kingdom, specifically and surprisingly that it won't end all evil immediately. Rather, it will be met with many different responses. I think the disciples would be confused why so many in the crowd are not responding as they have, responding enthusiastically, responding positively. And Jesus teaches this parable to tell us the nature of this kingdom that it will be met with a variety of responses. But only one is good. Only one is the response that he desires. 
It's the one that bears fruit. Let's read verses 18 through 23. Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Friends, as Jesus explains the parable of the soils to his disciples, he imparts to them, he imparts to you and I, secrets about the kingdom. The secret was not that God would bring his kingdom to earth. All faithful Jews counted on it. All faithful Jews looked forward to it. The new truth now being revealed to men by revelation in the person and ministry of Jesus is that the climactic end-time kingdom of God had entered the story in advance, before the end, to work in the hearts of humanity. But he says not all will respond positively. Some, like a hardened path, will hear the word about the kingdom and its truth will not penetrate. They're so resistant that before they understand its truths, the devil comes and steals it away. Others, like a hardened path, or sorry, like shallow soil over rocks, they will hear the gospel. And at first it appears like they receive it with joy. However, immediate, their immediate sign of life is deceitful. It's deceptive. Because they haven't really thought it through. They haven't really thought through what it means to serve Jesus as king. And so as soon as trials or tribulations come because of the word, as quickly as they sprung up, they fall away. Still others, like seed that falls among thorns, they'll hear the gospel of the kingdom, they begin to grow, but very soon their true colors show. Captured and controlled by worldly things. The worries of this life and the sneaky, subtle deceit of wealth. They're choked out before they ever produce a crop. Now notice in these first three, none of them produce a crop. None of them produce a yield. The only desire any farmer ever has when sowing seed is a crop, is a yield. It matters little if plants come up and then fade away. What matters is the crop. What matters is the yield. And it's clear that the problem is not the seed. The same seed is scattered on all soils. The problem is the soil. The growth depends on the soil. Likewise, the problem is not with the message about the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom had been proclaimed to all. The problem is the heart. Many hearts are hard. Only the last soil is good. Only one positive example is given to us in this parable. It's only the one who produces a crop. Only the receptive heart is the one desired by Jesus. Some, when the word of the kingdom lands on their heart, they hear it, they understand it, and they produce its fruit. Sometimes a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. 
And notice, the one that produces a small crop and the one who produces a large crop are both called good because the essential expression of discipleship is growing fruit, is producing a crop. It's only this last example that's a true disciple of Jesus. Those who come to Jesus receive even more and then go on to produce a harvest. To conclude, let's consider some practical ways that this passage speaks to each one of us, some practical ways that this text invites us to action. First, and most importantly, this passage asks us the most important question of them all. Do you understand the gospel about the kingdom? Have you understood and responded to the good news about the reign of God? Is Jesus your master? It's the power of God for salvation. Do you understand? Do you believe? Have you responded? Today the seed has been scattered. The good news of the kingdom has been announced. Do not be like the crowds in this passage. The crowds who had certainly all different kinds of responses to this parable about the kingdom. Some said, that's silly. Some said, I can't believe I wasted my time. Others said, that's not how I've understood it. So others probably said, that's not what I have been told. Friends, don't be like the crowd who stood at a distance, who never came to Jesus. The crowd that could not grasp that Jesus was not just putting his meaning right out there on the surface. Because there is an evil one who wants to snatch the seed away from you today. And so if you're here today and have never responded to this good news, to this gospel, then come to Jesus. Draw near to him. Go deep with him. Talk to someone here before you leave. And begin to surround yourself with the new family that God has invited you to be part of. Learning from Jesus forever and ever. The second thing that this passage invites us to do is some soil inspection. Some soil inspection. But not of each other, of ourselves. Apparently, there are many different responses that many different kinds of soil have to the message about this kingdom. Only one is good. Only the one that produces fruit is a disciple of Jesus. And so regarding the second soil in this parable, we might ask ourselves, you might ask yourself, have I really thought it through? If trouble or persecution comes because I'm associated with Jesus and his teaching, Am I willing to stand strong? Would I endure anything? Is my allegiance to God's reign and his Messiah alone? Would I endure trial and hardship for Jesus and go on and produce a crop? They're tough questions. Questions we might ask ourselves regarding the third soil and honestly invite others to help us answer are these. Am I tied to and controlled by the things of this world? Is the subtle pursuit of wealth and worldly goods choking out my kingdom witness? Have the many other commitments of this life slowly begun to choke my struggling plant so that I'm not maturing, that I'm not bearing fruit? Friends, one of the things our passage invites us to do today is to see what kind of soil we are. Perhaps this parable doesn't offer us an exhaustive list of every response that people have to the kingdom. But whether it does or not, we can be sure that unless we're producing a crop, unless we have a yield, that the gospel truth has not penetrated our heart. 
Lastly, Jesus' explanation for why he teaches in parables makes at least one thing clear. That in his life and in his ministry, Jesus disclosed secrets about the kingdom of God. We've already talked about how Jesus announced the kingdom of God and how God demands everyone, everywhere, to respond by turning and receiving Jesus as Lord. But Jesus challenges us to go even deeper, to come to him and receive even more, an abundance to sit at his feet and understand glorious and marvelous things about the messianic reign, the thing that many prophets and righteous people longed to hear and see. As I said, the secret was not that God would bring his reign to earth. All faithful Jews believed that. The mystery now revealed is that this end time kingdom is broken into the middle of the story in Jesus and is at work even now. Jesus invites those who have ears to hear to hear more, eyes that can see to perceive even more, to meditate on the mystery that prophets and righteous people longed to hear and see. Today's parable tells us that the kingdom announcement will be met with many different responses. Six following parables teach us more about the nature of the reign of God. And I want to give you a little sneak peek of some of the mystery revealed in the following parables. Jesus teaches this, that though the reign of God has dawned, surprisingly, the old age hasn't ended yet. The righteous and unrighteous will exist together like weeds and tares until the end, when all are gathered and evil is thrown away forever. Jesus teaches that regardless to what it at times may seem, the kingdom is like a tiny little seed that is growing into a massive home, providing shelter to many. Jesus teaches it's more valuable than anything, and that the wise person is willing to sell everything they own to pursue the kingdom. Dear friends, dear friends, let us never forget that Jesus told us to seek first one thing, to seek first one thing, even at the expense of everything else. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Highland, let's pursue God's kingdom. Let's delight in his reign. Make him the Lord of your life, more than just the Lord of your life, the Lord of every part of your life as well. And when we do that, we will indeed go on to bear fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30-fold of what was sown. Let us pursue his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so delighted that we can read your word today and learn from the words of Jesus what a miraculous revelation, Father, that you have brought your reign and that we might go deeper, that we might perceive glorious and wonderful things about your plan from the beginning of time. Father, I pray that you would be with each one of us, that your spirit would enlighten us and soften our hearts, that we might understand and respond to this word of the kingdom. Father, may Jesus be our Lord. May we serve him faithfully. And we can't do any of this without your spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would empower us with your spirit, give us wisdom and knowledge and mercy and grace and truth that we might be the kind of kingdom witnesses that you desire. Father, we know you are good. We know you are kind. We love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.